Well, good morning, everyone. So I don't know if you've had a chance to be enjoying the lovely weather that we had, not today, but over the last couple of days. It's been really beautiful, hasn't it? And I had the privilege on Friday of going to meet a friend at Loch Leven's Larder. Um, yeah, a few people were like nodding that they've been there before. It's a, it's a beautiful place quite nearby. And it's actually somebody that I tend to meet maybe on like a roughly, maybe monthly, maybe a little bit longer than that basis. And it's somebody who we meet together to be accountable to each other. And it's a really important part of my walk as a disciple of Jesus to actually have people that I can come alongside who I can be accountable to. Somebody that I can share how things are going and so that we can pray together over the different things happening in our lives. And we have quite a lot in common. Um, we both have children who are around a similar age. And we found, as is often the case, we spent most of the time talking about how our families were doing. And we realized that our children have reached that same point in life. So mine are nine and six. His are a little bit older where they're beginning to get a sense of their own independence. Their personalities are beginning to show through. And they're actually really good at getting along with each other, but we have begun to notice now that they're beginning to rub each other up the wrong way every now and then. And so we were talking about this experience for both of us that we're finding of how you could be leaving the children to play and you're thinking, isn't this lovely how well they're getting along? And you're like, this is great. I might go and get on with different things and isn't life so great? And then three seconds later, you hear an amazing roar coming from there and it's like World War Three has just broken out within your house and then you need to go in and deal with whatever the situation is. And it's never straightforward. More often, it's over some sort of sense of property. This sense that this is my toy. I don't want you to be playing with this toy. And then you're left as the parent in a bit of a dilemma. Because you think, well, OK, it's good to share. So do we talk about that? But also, it's important to ask for permission as well. And you judge the situation, you weigh up whether you're really wanting to get into this at this time, and then you end up saying most of the time, you're just going to have to learn how to get along. And that is a really important lesson that every child has to learn. It's an important lesson which prepares for us as we go into adulthood learning how to work out these issues, recognizing that they are going to rub each other up the wrong way. But as long as they don't break anything, or it's not in public, because that would be embarrassing for us parents, then they're just going to have to learn how to get along. Well, I think we would all agree that from a very young age, we have this deep sense that unity is an important thing that we have to learn. It is definitely a core value within our society. It's taught to us from birth, and we find that there's all sorts of different catchphrases 
which actually will come out in all sorts of different situations, which are all to do with unity. And you're going to need to move the slides on at the back because my remote isn't working here. And I just thought I'd go through and pull out some of the cheesiest catchphrases that I could find. One which is probably quite common to you is the teamwork makes the dream work. We've all heard that, haven't we? The next one, unity is our strength and diversity is our power. Heard variations of this. The third one, I'd never heard this before myself. Unity, it starts with you. Bit of clever wordplay there. If not you, then who? Well, there you go. That's the end of my sermon. So um, we're just going to go to worship. No. The thing is, is that actually none of these come even close to Paul's letter of encouragement to the church at Ephesus. If we want to go somewhere to get a sense of what unity is actually all about, then Ephesians 4 is probably one of the best places to start. Today, it was a long reading, wasn't it? But didn't it go like that? Because every word on it felt so full of just meaning in the way that we go about our everyday lives. And it starts with this real deep sense of calling for us, where he says, I beg you, this is Paul, to lead a life worthy of your calling. He says to make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. This suggests that unity is fundamental to God's call on the church and to its members. It suggests that God, in calling us, chooses us to be representatives of Christ's church within the world. And in this respect, our very unity bears something of what it means to bear the name of Christ as we're united within the Spirit. It's actually a huge responsibility. It's not something that we should take lightly at all. And we find as we experience life, it's not easy. A lot of Paul's letters that we've received in the New Testament demonstrate time and time again that keeping unity isn't easy. He deals with division. He deals with quarreling. He deals with leadership issues. You name it, you'll often find something related within Paul's letter that threatens this important sense of unity, this calling that God has on Christ's church for us. And we continue to see it today as well. Now, you've probably heard the illustration before of a man that was stranded on a desert island. This isn't Tom Hanks' castaway, but this was a man who was stranded on a desert island, and he'd been there for many years alone. And then finally, when somebody came to rescue him, they came onto the island, and the guy was so excited to show them all of the different things which he had done and he'd built. So first he'd brought them over to his house. 
And he said to them, this is my house, which I built with my own two hands. And then he took them to another building, and he said, this is my church. This is my church that I built with my own two hands. And then somebody looked and said, what's that building over there? And he said, oh, that's a church that I used to go to. (laughs) The reason why we laugh at that, because it's tragic, isn't it? We shouldn't really laugh. It's because there is a bit of truth in it, isn't it? That even if we were stranded on a desert island, we would probably still find something with our church that we're going to. And this is absolutely tragic, because what Ephesians 4 tells us is that unity isn't actually something that we create. It's not something that we need to work on until we've found it. Unity, it says quite clearly, is actually a gift. It's a gift to the church. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit who unites us, who binds us together. It's a very living representation of what it means to be the church. Unity is at the essence of it as we're united in the Spirit. And in the same way, because it's the very essence of what it means to be the church, It says at the end of the chapter quite clearly that when we are not united, that it grieves the Spirit. It's not just about some people falling out with each other and having to deal with the implications of that. This grieves the Spirit. Could you imagine that? How much more the weight of dealing with just the Issues of life can fall in you when you think about the fact that the Spirit is there with you, that he's grieving over all of these situations when we're not demonstrating fully what it means to be united within Christ. And the passage speaks about these kind of grievances. It talks about when we speak falsehoods to each other. It talks about when we let anger control us. It talks about when our decisions end up stealing from people who need it more than us. It talks about how we allow bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, and malice to consume us. Actually, when we were reading through that part in Ephesians, it had been broken down into different sentences. But if you look at the original Greek, It was like Paul started writing and he just got so carried away that he didn't want to stop. All of these things were one big brain dump of all the different ways that we can grieve the Spirit in the way we come alongside each other. All of these different things, they had a pattern within them. They were all about the breakdown of relationship. And Paul, we find in all of his letters, was really concerned about relationships. In his letters, one of the words that he actually used the most, or phrases, was his phrase of one another. He used it 40 40 times across all of his letters, and then he also used it four times in this letter today. It was a significant word for him. 
He talked about that word when he said to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And then he said, bearing with one another in love. To Paul, it was so clear that Christians are a part of each other. That as we're brought together, we are called to receive one another. We're called to think about one another. We're called to serve one another, to love one another, to encourage each other, and most importantly, to build one another up. If what we have to say to someone else doesn't build that person up, even if you're right, then may I suggest that that is a sign that we need to just take some space to just pray to the Spirit, to ask for guidance in how best to come along each other, to learn how we can communicate in such a way that we build each other up. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all need to learn how to agree on everything. If we go back to the kids, then we'll find that one issue that can break down relationships is to confuse uniformity with unity. We don't actually want our kids to be the same. That would be awful. We love the fact that they're developing different relationships. And that then relationships will mean that sometimes they see things from different perspectives. And that they need to learn how when they do rub each other up the wrong way, how to navigate this world with different personalities. To learn how to appreciate these different life perspectives that people have. To learn how to come together and use these differences as a way of building one another up. Paul, in this letter, balances this concern for unity with diversity. He describes using this familiar image of Christ's church like a body. With different bits, with different gifts, with different parts, which are all knitted together and working as a whole. Building itself up in love. Letting no corrupting talk, it says, coming out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now this verse in 29, this word corrupting, like many of the words we find in the Bible, it has a sense of a feeling to it as well. Because we find that when we have language, don't we, is that we have the meaning, but we also have a feeling to a word as well. And this word has often been translated in many ways as unwholesome, for example. And the feeling of this word is like stones that crumble, like something which is beginning to break. And you may have noticed that at the beginning of the sermon, we started with a new intro. Because over the last couple of weeks, we had the little plant that was growing. And this time, we had a pottery. And you might have noticed that the pottery, it had been broken at some point. 
It had cracks within the pottery. But each of these cracks, rather than this pottery being discarded, I don't know if you noticed, but it had been joined back together with a golden lacquer. This is often associated with a Japanese philosophy called Kintsugi. And this philosophy is that even when things have been broken down, they can be joined back together again. And actually, when they're joined back together again, you don't necessarily have to hide these cracks. Instead, you can celebrate them. You can create something which is far more valuable because you recognize the experience that this piece of pottery had gone through. And I love this sense because doesn't Paul's letters attest to the reality of the brokenness of the world? If everything was going to go perfectly for us, then we wouldn't need these letters. We will rub each other up the wrong way. There will be times when each and every one of us will fall short of what Paul is saying here. And yet, there is a promise here as well that even within these situations, that as we gather back together in fellowship, as we're united by the Spirit, that we'll be joined back together. And I would like to think that as we're joined back together, it becomes this amazing, beautiful piece of what it really means for Christ to be working within the world. It reminds me, when I think of that image, of 2 Corinthians, where it says that God said that, let there be light in the darkness, and that he has made this light to shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And it says, we now have this light shining in our hearts. But although we have this light shining in our hearts, it says, we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this greatest treasure. Like fragile clay jars holding the light of the world in our hearts, held together in Christ. To me, that is what a covenant is about. A covenant is what holds us together. It's our foundation. It's our foundation of trust. It's a promise. It's a gift that in Jesus there's always restoration, there's always healing, there's always reconciliation, and there's always unity. And as we are going through this season of reforming the church, of renewing our covenants with the church, it points back to what is our foundation? What is it that we trust in? When we are broken, where do we go to to be fixed, to be repaired? The covenant that we've been looking at this week, if we could just have that on the screen, it is to protect the unity of our church by acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, by respecting and supporting its leaders. A covenant is an agreement 
which helps us when we sometimes find it hard to find common ground. It isn't just saying that we've got to learn how to get along. Like I said, was so often the response when I was dealing with the children who just aren't learning how to get along. Instead, a covenant is about identifying what response to the situation will build up relationships rather than break them down. It's by identifying that when we have disagreements, that there's actually an opportunity to come out of this stronger. There's an opportunity to demonstrate how God has changed your life. How you've approached this in a way which is often so different to how these kind of issues are dealt with within the world. It doesn't take sides. Because it always focuses on something which is outside of ourselves. It focuses on Jesus. It points to Jesus. The letter in Ephesians, it tells us that leadership has an important role to play in this as well. It actually said that the leaders were a gift to the church in order to build the church up. It says that their role is to equip the saints for their work in ministry, to nurture a culture of building each other up, to lead by example, to identify and help develop all of these different parts of Christ's body so that they can flourish together. I've loved the agricultural imagery of leadership that we actually have a lot in the Bible where you think of the leadership's role in trying to identify where best to plant people so that they can flourish. To ensure that we don't have some things overshadowing other things. To see this understanding of the bigger picture so that we can have this beautiful, blossoming garden. Over this period of recovenanting, we're also going to be taking a bit of time to relook over what the leadership covenant is as well. Because covenant is a point of agreement between all of us. It's between each other, it's between the leadership, it's between ourselves and God. Covenant is a foundation of trust. But where do we start? If we're feeling that this sense of covenant, of unity, is just difficult for us at this moment, where do we start? Well, it says quite clearly that we go to the source. The source that gifted us with unity. We recognize that it's not something that we create, but actually it's something that we imitate. As Psalm 133 says, unity is God's blessing on God. God chose us to be his representatives here today. He's calling us to bear his name within the world. And this isn't something to be taken lightly. But we don't do this in our strength. It says, as in chapter 5, that instead we are to be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If we want to know how to seek unity as a church, then we need to first learn to be imitators of God. To live in love. The kind of love that Christ showed us in how he loved us. The kind of love that he still got the scars today to demonstrate the length that he went. That is the kind of love that we're called to represent together. That's the kind of unity that we're called to present to the church. And so now I just want us just to finish, and I'm just going to just pray, and it will be based on Jesus' prayer as he was praying to God in John chapter 17, as he was praying for unity for his disciples as he was thinking about his time that he would be leaving them. So let us just pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning not only for ourselves, but all of those who will ever believe in Jesus and his message. We pray that we will all be one, just as you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. As you are in your Son, as we are in you, may we also be in this world around us so that those who see us will recognize that you sent your son into the world in order to bring reconciliation, to show your love of peace, of unity within the world. We pray that as we bear your son Jesus' name within the world, that we will give all glory to him, so that the world might see that we are united as one within you. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to gather together in your Son's name. And we pray, Lord, that we won't take this lightly, that in everything that we do with each other, that we will do it to build up one another in love. We do pray for the unity of your church and particularly for Sterling today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a couple of just notices before we go into this time of worship. And one of them which is actually really relevant to what we've been talking about today is that Tomorrow we're going to be having a forum within the church, which is on at 7.30. And if you've been listening to this covenant service or you've received in the email this reaffirming documents and you're thinking, I'm still not entirely sure what this is all about, then this would be a good opportunity for you to come to the forum to find out a bit more so that we can just discuss and answer your questions. That's tomorrow at half seven, and there will be another opportunity to in February as well, and that will be announced in due course. And the other thing is just please do keep an eye on these notices, 
And I talked earlier about going wandering at Loch Leven. It was a beautiful place. And I'll just use this as an opportunity to highlight that we are going to be starting in February just a new fellowship activity where we're just going to be able to explore some of the beautiful places where we'll just come together and people can walk or just enjoy the countryside and there'll be a cafe for us to be able to enjoy a time of fellowship together. And it is just a time to come together outside of the Sunday morning. And then from that, we'll hopefully enjoy other times of fellowship. If you do have any questions on that, feel free to sort of speak to me later. But let's think about all the different ways that we continue, we can continue to join together in unity, because it's by getting to know each other that we can really have a better sense of how we can build each other up. Thank you. <laughs>